0: Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the One Broke Actress Podcast, an honest account of actor life plus a few lessons I learned in the process. I am your host, Sam Valentine, and today we're doing things a little bit differently. So... I have been a guest on so many people's podcasts at this point, and I really enjoy getting on someone else's platform and having different conversations. It really changes kind of what comes out and what happens. And sometimes we hit on topics that I think are so important and so different. And I really want to share those with you guys too. So I realized that I have this litany of previously recorded podcasts that I want to also share with you guys. And why not put out pieces of it on my podcast feed? So today I'm gonna share a piece of a podcast that I was a guest on, and this was a very big honor for me. I have been a fan of the financial diet on YouTube, and their financial confessions podcast for quite a while. Chelsea Fagan is the host. And I think that her advice is so sound and so professional and researched and the stuff that she shares about the world of money and also just the world we live in today is so clean and concise. And I'm just a big fan of their content and their videos when they reached out and asked me to be on their podcast, I was like, "Did I? Am, am I reading this wrong? Is it? They want me? They Somebody wants me? And someone who is a listener sent my name to Chelsea in terms of people to interview in Los Angeles. And it was such an honor. And it's still such a big deal to me to have been invited on their platform. And I really enjoyed this podcast interview with Chelsea. So we're going to play a piece of it today. Of course, I want to credit the financial diet with the entirety of the podcast and all of the video. And they are All linked below. If you guys want the remainder of the podcast episode and of the video, you can catch the full thing on any of their channels. But today we're going to kind of get into what we talked about in December of last year. And it's a bit of a small snippet of the whole conversation. So definitely check it out, like I said. But we really get into living paycheck to paycheck in a city with such high costs. And the rejection in the industry, the term Nepo baby is really having quite a year in 2022 and the financial realities of the Hollywood dream, along with why actors sometimes leave this business. Really just the cost of quote unquote, doing it all. So thank you so much, Chelsea and the Financial Diet for having me. And without further ado, please enjoy this piece of the Financial Diet with Chelsea Fagan. (laughs) So leaving the podcast aside because that's sort
1: of become its its it's become its own business and I know that it's still quite separate from the actual acting work that you do because you are a mm-hmm. working actress first and foremost. Can you just give us a little bit of context as far as what it really means financially to be a working actor? Like what a, you know, an average income looks like, mm. you know, is it a regular income? Is it big spurts throughout the year? Like, how does it actually work? And if you can share any kind of ballpark numbers, that's, I think, really helpful as well.
0: Yeah. So I I teach a class called the Working Actor Workshop. And in it, it was the reason that I did a breakdown of it, because I wanted to showcase that there's this weird thing that we tell actors that, like, you really made it when you only make your living from acting. Right. And that hurts me because I don't know. I don't think anyone's really doing that anymore. Sure. Uh, and so I, I broke it down and this is like, you know, it's hard to give a ballpark because you book so differently. It's, Mm -hmm. it's all about the timing and the project and you and your readiness and all of these things. And so there's no, there's no consistency. Your only consistent income is your other jobs. Um, acting is just, is, is, is just a shot in the dark. So, uh, for example, a co-star, if you get a one day co-star, which used to be five lines or less now, it could be way more than that. It's just how they classify it in a contract. Uh, pays about $1,200, $1,300 for the day. Mm. Um, and you get residuals on that, which are, you know, random $20, $30 checks that come in if it's a network show. Mm. But most jobs now are streaming. <laughs> so right. you don't really see a lot coming back from that, if any. Like Netflix, for example, has its own agreement. It's, it's so confusing on the back end. So that's a co-star. And it can take three, four five months of auditioning in order to get that one job. Mm. So when you consider, you know, if you coach for an audition, which most actors do at this point, the average cost of a coaching is a hundred dollars an hour. Uh, so if you coach half an hour to an hour for, you know, five or 10 auditions that you got before you got that audition, you're basically breaking even. <laughs> Wow. And that's to say nothing of your actual living expenses. No, no, nor the expenses of having your headshots done once every year or two, which can be five to $600 plus the cost of posting them on the sites because it costs about $20 per photo to put it on the actor websites.
1: Wow. So, I mean, so you mentioned your agent. So I, um, I also work with an agent for specifically book publishing. Mm -hmm. And I assume also my agent is at an agency that does um, film and television as well. So I imagine it's probably a fairly similar structure where for context, like I have done uh, I've been with my agent for like 12 years. We've done two books. I've never paid him out of pocket anything ever. Um, But he and obviously the agency take a cut every time Mm -hmm. I sell a book on, you know, the advance and royalties. Um, Is that a
0: pretty similar structure where you don't pay them up front, but you do? Pay them when you go. Okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Ten percent is the going rate um, for most agents. Uh, for some agents, will take twenty percent for actors who haven't joined the union yet because they're mm. not going to get any residuals off of that job. Uh, some, and then you also have a manager oftentimes on top of that, so that's an additional ten. And do you pay the manager upfront? No. Also, uh, only when you get paid. What's the difference? it's used to be a really easy line to follow, but now they're very similar. Um, oftentimes actors have both and sometimes actors just have one. Um, it used to be my favorite analogy for this is that like you're a kid in school, like the actor is the kid in school, right? And you have your parents and you have your teachers. And so your manager is like your parent and they're supposed to take care of your home base and like hold your hand and help you with your homework. So a manager used to help you get the right headshots or advise on classes or like really proliferate your career over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Whereas an agent is like a teacher. They have like one job and their Mm -hmm. job is to get you auditions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, oftentimes parents and teachers would have meetings, you know, or like your parents would help you find the right teacher for the thing. So the oftentimes managers will help actors find agents. But now oftentimes managers are also getting auditions for their clients. So the line is very blurred. So it's, it's, it's a good thing in a way, because now you have two people fighting for you to get auditions, which is what you need. Um, the more people in your quarter, the better, but that also means that when you do get a job, you get even more money taken out.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, so you have the manager, the agent, people doing your headshots, your coaches. Mm -hmm. So, even just to kind of get to a place where you can sort of even be in a position to get the role, just to get the audition, which is not a guarantee whatsoever that you're getting the role. You've already got a lot of people who kind of have their hands out a little bit.
0: Yes. And if you want to get a a good paying job as a professional actor and have Pension and healthcare and all of these things, you have to be part of the actors union. Right. Which is an additional expense uh to just to join. And then you have to pay yearly sum. And then you pay one point five seven five percent of everything you make, up to five hundred thousand dollars, I believe is the cap. Don't don't fact check me on this. Um, is uh to back to the union for staff for all of the things they provide. And so
1: we were talking before you sat down, or before the camera was on, about so you're obviously dressed quite well, um, in a very sort of well professional woman, um, kind of a look. And you were mentioning that this is an outfit you're wearing specifically for an audition <laughs> that is kind of aligned with what you're wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, you obviously are like very well styled, um, and all of those things that seems like an additional expense and concern on top of all of this, like having oh, to yeah. dress the part for an
0: audition. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's I'm, I'm, you know, you, and you also can, you can lean into a community on this, right? So I have, my friend is a stylist, which is mm-hmm. lovely and helpful. And I send her pictures all the time. And I'm like, do we like these earrings? Do we like these boots? And it's so I'm, that's building out that community of the people you meet in LA is, and any city is, is incredible. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's expensive to do things like hair and taking care of your ha- nails and like your face and having proper makeup and all of these things are, are not unlike other jobs. They're not non-negotiables. Right. And I'm sure, listen, And especially as a female presenting person, oftentimes that is a non-negotiable. We just don't say it out loud. Right. Um, But for this job in particular, your makeup needs to look good on camera. Your hair needs to look good on camera. There'll be jobs where they might fuss it up a little bit and you can play and that's really fun. But for the most part, you need to be able to be camera ready pretty much any time.
1: Now, emotionally, I gotta, I gotta be honest. The thing that is most just like I'm impressed and sort of blown away by is the capacity of a working actor by necessity to handle rejection and criticism. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, my friend that I mentioned who brought me to your podcast, she's a working actress, um, and she, I think has been struggling more than anything with, you know, just being able to accept a level of unvarnished feedback and rejection that I think is just not normal for 99% of industries, um, especially for, you know, as, as women age, as they become sort of less, I don't know what the word is almost trendy. Uh, I want to say like, that there's a very, I think it's very difficult for her and for actresses and actors in general to separate out the way they feel about themselves from the way people feel about them or the things that they say to them. Um, and resisting the pressure, for example, to change your appearance as a result, um, or to, uh, maybe adopt not super healthy eating habits as a result and things like that. Again, not saying that that's her case, but that it's, I feel as a non-actor, as a lay person, that it would be so difficult for me to navigate that aspect of things in a healthy way. And I'm just kind of
0: curious as to how you do. Yeah, I, I, I am OK with talking totally open about this, but it's so hard to separate your validation of yourself from your validation of your career. And that's true in everyone's job. But it's especially true in this job because we are the business. So like right. <laughs> your name is on the credits because your face, your body, your voice, your appearance created whatever the project is. Um, it took, took a hold of the role, regardless of what the script was. You know, the writers created the circumstances and the director like put the pieces together and the editor and all these things. But it's your face and your body. So it is really hard to separate yourself, especially the rejection is like... It's a whole other bag of worms because you don't, it, I almost wish I'm curious what it would be like if we did just get a phone call that was like, it's not you every time, because what we actually get is nothing.
1: <laughs> oh no, that's not, no, 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 no. I, that I could not tolerate. That would make me so much more upset.
0: Yeah. It's, it's really hard too. cause like I told you, you know, you coach and you do these things right. and you put money and time into something. And then you create what we have to, we have to tell ourselves is a beautiful piece of artwork or else it feels useless, right? right. We have to, we create now everything self-tape almost across the board, hands down. You, you get your audition and you tape it oftentimes in whatever space of your house you have or at a self-tape studio and you do all of the work to make it lovely. And a lot of times we're also doing all the tech now of lighting and the making sure the sound is good and all these things. And then we turn it in. And then, you know, like I said, 98% of the time, you don't hear anything back. Now, it's really nice when you have, I have a great team on my side and they watch my tapes. So at least my agents and managers get back to me and they're like, this was great or we loved this moment. And that to me has to be enough. But most of the time, the casting and all those things, they have so many things are watching. There's so many pieces. And for TV, it rolls so quickly. They don't have time to get back to us and, you know, call hundred actors and say, it's not you, but you're lovely. <laughs> so it's just it's and you have to and you have to take it and keep moving, which I will say there is a gift in having a lot of auditions. Right. Is that you get one and then you're on to the next. And I've I've already forgotten about anything I did last week because right. it feels so long ago. But that's not always the case. And you're not always auditioning that much. And so you there is a letting go of something is really hard. And then it's always good research as an actor to go see who booked the role you auditioned for. Oh, God. Which can be a minefield, right? So what oh, you said about, God. like, body image and stuff is huge. And, you know, there's an old saying that, like, actors don't book, so they cut their hair or, like, they dye it. And there was a period of time where um, Emma, uh, Emma, Easy a- Yes. Every girl in this town dyed her hair red because they were like that was her in we had no like hot redheads according to the media at that time so like she was the in and everyone went for it and now you know and then everyone just had red hair but they were the same person so they were like not even living in their own essence at that point right so it's it's really hard to decide what is data and evidence versus like what is mental Trash.
1: Um, <laughs> speaking of individuals, so one of the videos that we did recently that, um, very recently, that our audience really responded um, very strongly to was a video about the phenomenon of Nepo babies. I absolutely watched that. <laughs> <video>. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I was, I will tell you, when I was, when we were doing the research for that video, I was like blown away by how many people are Nepo babies that I didn't even know are Nepo babies. It's wild. It's right? wild. I literally watched, okay, I watched a rom com the other day that I really enjoyed. It's a Netflix. Rom com called Set It Up. Oh, uh huh. Yes. Okay, so I really enjoyed it. Okay, this is so gratuitous of me to say (laughs) that. Never mind, I'm not going to say this. Um, (laughs) Suffice to say, so I watched this um, rom com that I really enjoyed, and then I was like Googling the actors because I really like watching them. Turns out the female lead is the daughter of a very famous actress. Now, Does that mean that her performance wasn't fantastic? No, I really enjoyed it. I thought the movie was good, but it's become increasingly rare. I've found to watch a movie or a TV show and to not have at least one of the principal actors be either like the daughter of a very well-known Hollywood figure or like, you know, the president of Goldman Sachs, basically, which to me is like basically the same thing. Um, And obviously, this does exist in other industries, but I think Hollywood is probably the most pervasive. And we don't have hard data on it. It's kind of hard to pull, but it does seem like it's become, especially in things like um, fashion and, um, you know, especially in the age of streaming and things like that, where, you know, these are often shows that really rely on having those recognizable names, et cetera, um, that it's becoming a lot more prevalent. And I'm just curious how you feel about the phenomenon as a working actress, but also, How you avoid sort of, I mean, quite frankly, becoming resentful because I feel like I would be so angry all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's hard. (laughs) It's hard. I so I used to see people talk about the nepotism and all these things, and I would think like, oh, what? They're whatever. They just have to be like so good, and then it doesn't matter. Like as long as the actor is so good, no one cares. But the baseline now for just getting seen in this business is so high that like, you better be damn good. You know what I mean? Like you, like it is, it is so hard to get seen for more than a few lines and to be to be actually seen like casting watches your entire tape the producer see it the director see it it is because that's how that's not just how you get that one audition it's how you get your next audition because people see you and maybe you weren't right for this role but oh let's bring in Sam Valentine she also did this role and we she did great on this audition let's see what she has to do with this and that's that's how the game is played long term right. and so if that is the case and you had to be so good to get seen for a few lines. And if you're a nepotism kid, you better be so good. And I think that, you know, sometimes they get they do get a lot of attention for that. I think we hold them to a higher standard. But I think if if the average layperson saw the standard to which we are held for roles that even like get cut out of shows, right, they would Feel less for that, and and it's fine. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. Or there's nothing. All I can do is just continue to do my work and be really good. And I have, you know, uh, some friends who are involved in these families, who are related to these families, and some of them have chosen to go the entirely opposite direction and never bring up the name, and never lean on it, and never mention it. And sometimes I'm sad because I'm like, you're so good, and you could get that boost and be even better. And And I know that they would do good work with that and they would Mm -hmm. do good things. And my thing is just, just say it, just say I had a leg up because I did this. Thank you. (laughs) Just agree to it. And while you're agreeing to it, look around and look at the people who could use a leg up. And if you are the number one on the call sheet, so like you're the top actor on a show and you came from a family and you had a lot and you meet actors who Are struggling to get by and are also incredible at what they do. If you have an opportunity to give someone a leg up, give them a leg up.
1: Right. And I mean, I think the being honest about it thing has become, it's a very complicated issue. I think not just in Hollywood, but in a lot of um, you know, professional industries where obviously we even, you know, quote unquote, everyday people Mm. for the most part are not exempt from having to have public personas, whether that's your LinkedIn page, um, you know, or your basic social media, which will often be a component of hiring decisions and networking and all of these things. Like we're forced to live in a way that is a lot more visible than it's ever been, especially obviously for people whose entire profession is about being a, a public figure. Um, But because of the sort of social media component, I think there's this incredible emphasis that is being placed on like relatability, which was mm-hmm. never, I think, a pressure before. I think if you look at, you know, like old Hollywood, for example, those people were like treated like Greek gods. Like it was like the entire concept was they're nothing like us. Um, like it even was, I think in the early 2000s, late 90s, whatever, there was that whole like they're just like us phenomenon, which was at the time regarded as surprising. Yes. yes. I can see the magazine spread now. They also walk their dogs. They also drink water. <laughs> Who would have thought also, let's be clear, Tom Cruise, he's not just like me, (laughs) even Emma Stone, not just like me, I could venture to guess. Um, but I do think that this emphasis on relatability, and I think it also becomes a class issue as well, because, you know, having like pretending that you didn't have an easier time because your parents are famous, like, obviously that's not true. That's demonstrably not true. Um, And you say, and you pretending like it's not the case doesn't benefit anyone. If anything, it's like I was saying in my video, it's like, it's a little bit like, stop gaslighting us. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously, we know you got the job in small part, at least because of this. But on a class front, and again, to take it back to the struggle of someone who's not really getting by in this industry, like to have people who come into an industry with so much wealth, leaving aside the parent, like being an, an actor or director, just to come in with such socioeconomic stability is a a level of privilege that to deny it and to pretend that it doesn't exist,
0: I think actively makes it harder for people who are financially struggling and who do depend on the job. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I think of myself sometimes and I, I've, it's taken me 11 years to get where I am now. And it is nowhere near where I, plan to go or where right. I thought I would be in this point in my career. And that's okay. Um, but even myself, like the, at the base level, my parents paid for my college. Right. And I, I make a big deal of saying that to actors I meet, especially actors who are from like non-classically privileged people. So anybody who is not white middle-class or above or cisgender or any of any of the things that I have tons of privilege with, like I, I, I have to acknowledge it because I don't want anyone to look at me and say, "Like, well, she just moved to LA and made it happen." I moved to LA without college debt, mm-hmm. and I don't think that I could have even done this if I would have had 60000 dollars on my back because it is so expensive to just get groceries here that I cannot fathom the the debt on top of that all. And a lot of times in this business, you are told that like. Like if you won't invest in this, you know, class product, you name it, just all the sales things, then are you really committed to your art? Are you really committed? And I hate that so much because it takes so much work just to start to break even on this business, let alone for it to pay you back. Right. And so like, for example, the Sydney Sweeney thing, she got Mm -hmm. in a bunch of hot water recently because she was like, I can't afford to take a break but I, she's not an EPO baby. And she did come from her family moved here and brought her up from, from what I read about her. And, and I get it because she's also on shows that she might have a hefty contract, but most of like, I don't know what HBO's residuals schedule is. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what the streaming residuals are like for that. And it might not be a ton. And so when you take out, like we talked about the agents and all those things. And there was just a a Hollywood, I think it was Hollywood reporter article that came out yesterday about the cost of being a star. um, That was about, you know, you also have to pay a lawyer and an accountant and an assistant, and you have to pay to be styled. And we think that everything is just given to us for free and it's not. And, uh, and so that also comes into play. And I think I forgot where I came to this topic, but I just think it's the, the acknowledgement of it is, to me is beautiful. So it just it just like Xnay's one more comparison we can take off of people's radar.
1: Right, because you if you're the person who is in student debt, who's living on credit cards, who's you know, basically 80 to 100% of their income is coming from non-acting jobs mm-hmm. and you're on social media or you're following some of these other people who are booking jobs, the math isn't mathing. If they're not being honest, It's very easy to get into a spiral of thinking, well, what is wrong with me? Oh, 100%. Which is extremely unhealthy and unfair, if we're being totally honest. You mentioned, you know, the cost of being a star. You know, you mentioned all these people you have to hire. And this is assuming none of those people are ripping you off, which often happens. Um, You know, we hear a lot of stories, you know, again, as like lay people about these massive celebrities who on paper should have... Endless amounts of wealth who go bankrupt. Um, and I would love kind of your opinion on the mechanics of that in Hollywood specifically. Um, you know, obviously, I think part of it is definitely just having so many people to pay. Um, but I also think, you know, when it comes to the work that they're doing, the shows, the even the ads, all of that stuff, that they may not even be paying as much as we would assume that they're paying.
0: Mm -hmm. do you mean in terms of like branding deals and things like that or or... even the shows themselves
1: like i think most people assume like if you have a reasonably um popular show or movie or what have you that you're you know maybe you're not on the poster but you're Mm. a you know, a regular cast member that you're automatically making millions of dollars. Yeah.
0: Oh, I wish that was true. I, <laughs> li- I really do. Uh, well, when you sign up for a show, when you go in to test for a show, for example, uh, which means like you're one of the top picks, they're going to have you do the audition in front of all of the executives and all the important people. By the way, I haven't even gone in for a network test yet. So this is just me speaking from other people's stories is that you sign a contract that says, I will agree for this many years to get paid this much. So even actors who have a show that after one season is just like so popular gangbusters, unless they're they have a shark of a team that gets the 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 entire production to renegotiate contracts, you're getting paid the same amount. And you'll see it now, too, where a show will be shooting and uh, they'll renew it for the next season while they're still shooting, like continually finishing the season they're at. And there there's budgetary reasons for that. Right. Because they want to get it done and they're already there. So, like, let's keep everyone working. And uh, there was actually a big thing recently beyond just actors of the the unions, um, uh, the the oh, my God, I'm going to forget it the 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 below the line union so everyone who's working on sets and hair and makeup and lighting and the camera crew and all that stuff they had a big reckoning asking for higher pay because and better hours because when you're on set you're working 12 hour days as an actor let alone the crew who sets up before you get there and picks up after you leave so they're working 16 hour days mm. and there's these horrible stories about you know women <clears throat> who are on these production crews like taking UTI medication in advance when they get a new job so that they can get through that job because they don't even have time to use the bathroom. Oh my God. Yeah. That is horrifying. Continue. No, it's, it's terrifying. And, and that's, that's how long you're on a set for. So that is like that in and of itself is its own issue, but everyone is trying to create more faster and cheaper. Hmm. And, and if they're trying to do that, then everyone's going to make less money. And I think the idea that just because something looks successful is not necessarily equaling a bigger paycheck. And this is why you see actors doing all the other things, doing uh, collaborations on social media mm-hmm. and brand deals and things like that, because that is is more guaranteed money for their income. and. When you do scary things like sign a mortgage, which is a crazy thing to do as a a gig, a glorified gig worker, which was what we are, jumping from job to job, you have to continue to pay that bill even when this project stops paying. So you have to find the money somewhere. And I think we see that rampant. And and I tell actors all of the time, especially new actors come to me and they're like, I just want to only make money from acting. And I'm like, you guys, no one's doing that. And the people who you see only acting also own property. Totally. Yeah. Or they also have hefty bank accounts that are turning over money with a high interest rate. Like they they have other ways of making their money. And I promise you, it's not all coming from sets. So like we have to hedge our bets and build our financial bottoms so that we can have a foundation to work on in this gig work. That being said, with, with the COVID, we lost a lot of good actors. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's a way to soothe that. I think every every actor I know questions whether or not this is their thing, like typically, like probably at least once a month. Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Because when you look at it, it's like it's buying lottery tickets is not a good financial choice, you know? And we're trying to win the lottery here constantly. And there are ways we can hedge our bets and put things in the right direction, but it's 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 luck a lot of times it's you know you have to you prepare and then you get lucky and and so for the actors who in the covid times were like i can't do this anymore i get it i think there's also a weird stigma around quitting like oh they tried to be an actor no they were an actor and they right. are an actor they just might not be doing it on popular media that you will see every day and so i think that's an important thing to say and yeah people think about quitting all the time i think I think about it, like the thought crosses my mind. I'm like, it's today. And I'm like, no, not today. Not today. Just, Just one more day. And let's see what happens. And that's, it's hard. It's hard to convince yourself that this is something you want to keep doing. But then in the days when it goes right, you're like, oh, I've never wanted anything more. This is the best job in the world. But those, you have to find a way to carry that feeling to the days when it doesn't.
1: I think something that I really would encourage everyone to do who works for themselves in any capacity is really call into question every single thing that you do for work that you consider as additive to your work. Like, force yourself to work on a reduced schedule just for a week or a month and see what it does. Because we found, and this is very common with four day work weeks, like productivity increased, um, revenue increased. Like, because the thing is that. A lot of the sort of auxiliary elements of work, you know, emails, meetings, phone calls, uh, you know, researching things like a lot of those things are either extraneous, could be done in a much shorter amount of time, um, you know, or are just you kind of like convincing yourself you're working, but you're really just like dicking around on the internet for sure um, or whatever the case may be. And so giving yourself a very limited window in which to actually get productive work done um, forces that forces you to decide a, what is actually high value in what you're doing and what's actually additive. Um, but also B I think, um, gives your brain just a lot more, um, a lot more energy in the times that you are working a lot more, you know, capacity to, you know, think creatively and to uh, kind of go outside of your normal uh, habits with work and all of those things, because, you know, you have such limited time and because you know that you're going to get a good break after. Um, so I really encourage, I don't think that you need to be in a salaried job to advocate for a four day work week. In fact, if you're freelance in any capacity, you can impose that on yourself and see what changes, you know, and mm. one of thing to keep in mind is like, obviously your audition schedules can fall outside of that, but we sometimes have things like we're doing, like I have some work I'm doing on Friday. Um, so we just really call it the 32 hour work week. So sometimes, you know, it doesn't fall on the same four days every week, but I do think a lot of people who work more quote unquote, like white collar or jobs that are not, you know, very like, obviously if you're working in a hospital, you're probably not doing a ton of extraneous work that could be cut out. Uh, yeah. But if at least part of your job is just you sitting at a computer doing stuff on email or whatever, chances are you're probably dedicating more hours to work that are either unnecessary or where you're not really working at all.
0: Mm, hmm I, you know, that's, that's great advice because it also like so many actors, we have so many jobs, you know, right? you're not like the actors you see on TV every day. Like they probably have, they have various streams of income. Like I like to talk about, but those of us who are actively auditioning and constantly in like this lower level working phase who are leveling up, we, like I, like I said, I, I own technically two companies and I have my acting career. And so to figure that out in terms of like giving yourself time to rest your brain. Like that was, you said that and I was like, Oh, that sounds so lovely and important because we're just a mile a minute. And with acting stuff too, like the past two or three weekends on Friday, I Friday nights, I've gotten auditions, which means I have the weekend to work on it and I have to have it on tape by Monday morning. Mm -hmm. So it does turn into the work stretches into the weekend. But I love the idea of like, then is there a way that I could take Monday off? Like, and I. I'm it. I'm CEO of both these businesses. So like I'm in charge. Take Monday off. I think, I think there's a world in that. You totally should. So, um, as a last kind of question,
1: so you mentioned earlier about women who took time off to have children Mm -hmm. and then came back to acting. Um, do you have children out of curiosity? I do not No. Okay. I'd love to hear to whatever extent you're willing to speak about it and feel Mm -hmm. free to pass me and cut this, but, um, have you thought about motherhood through the prism of its impact on your career slash do you feel that women in Hollywood, um, have a lot of really, um, have a lot of pressure in regards to not only whether or not to have children, but the way in which they have them
0: for sure. And this is all speaking from someone who doesn't have kids and isn't interested in having children. So that's another child free queen. my midst. Uh who That's me. Um, and so, so that, so like, that's my caveat is that like, I know people re- really want to have kids and can't and all, there's so many circumstances. So I just want to like give that some love. But for me, I watch my friends who have kids and they struggle with the idea of doing it because it does. There is a period of time in which like there's a point in your pregnancy where you can't hide being pregnant anymore. Right. And you have to like either book those roles or you have to decide to take a step away from the business and have your baby and then have your time as a new mom and all of that stuff and then decide – you have your priorities shift. That's what I'm watching in all of my friends. Is their priorities are so different. So, which is cool because they're not taking some of the bullshit anymore. Yeah, they're really like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. Yes, I want to do this. Like, they're it. Their decision maker just like churns now. Right. Um, which is really fun to watch. And like, I'm, once again, I'm taking notes because it's it's something we think we should all do. But also, just as a woman, once again, as your body, as your business in this business there's this weird thing in all media where we want women like we require of women to be mothers like how many, how many articles have we had about Jennifer Anderson, like choosing not to have kids like so many, I'm so bored of them. And then also when people do get pregnant, we're instantly like, and she whipped back into shape. Here's how. So it's like, we want them to be moms and to like showcase their momhood. But we also want them to be like little hot sex on a stick and like also come back. Who
1: looks like they've never had a child.
0: Yes. And who functions and like, can she keep up her crazy schedule when she comes back from having kids? And it's like, probably not like they're the, her life is totally different. So why it's, it's a weird, you know, catch 22. I feel like we put women in, in this business to like, you, everyone should want to be, have a baby. And then once you have a baby, you better be willing to work. And it's like, why? And whose business is this? And like, can we just let them live? Like it's, it's one of my favorite things when I'm, I'm looking up an actress and I find out, Oh wow, she has two kids. And it's nice that it's not, their center, uh, like it's not, it's nice that it's not the only thing we hear about that person. Right. That you they, know? that
1: they still get to, I mean, it is a very, you know, there's a really interesting, there was an article that went around a couple of days ago that I didn't like I didn't super agree with it because it was like, why is Taylor Swift still perceived as like a young girl when she's in her thirties and a lot of other women, um, who like are similar aged pop stars with like similar trajectories are maybe not, um, the difference is because she doesn't have kids. I don't think that's totally fair in the case of Taylor Swift, because I do think like her branding and marketing is very much in, um, it's just very much geared toward young women. It is a very young woman's brand, which is totally fine. Like I like a lot of her music. Um, but I think there is an interesting kind of piece in that, which is that, and I do think there are other, like Ina Garten doesn't have kids, is she perceived as a little girl? Right. I, methinks <laughs> not. Um, but uh, but I do think that there's something very true, which is that, you know, as you mentioned, like often when women become mothers as a public figure, they're expected, I think, in a lot of ways to make that the defining element of their identity and how, the, how they're um, Presented and the kind of roles that they take, and you know, uh, the first question they're asked, and all of those things. Yet at the same time, we want that perfect post-baby bod. We want there to be, we want you to still be very, you know, young and sexy and desirable, and all of these things. And I do wonder sometimes if part of that is, you know, the the social media aspect again making this even more intense because now when public figures public figures, like we want access to their family, Hmm. we want to see Mm -hmm. their kids, we want to see their husband, we want to see their vacation. Um, and I think that that probably is part of what makes, you know, the identity struggle even more intense. Um, because if the woman's kids are never visible and she's someone who wants to maybe keep them more private, then it's like, why are you hiding them? Are you not proud of being a mom? Are you not like, is that not a big part of your identity? Um, but I'm curious, you know, whether or not you have children with the sort of personal life and relatability and availability being such a big factor of your marketability and such a big factor of what people want from public figures, how do you decide, you know, what parts of your identity,
0: mother or not, you make available versus you keep private? Yeah, I I think all artistry is a weird thing because for acting, especially we want and, and and for music artists and things, we want them to be the best of their abilities. But we also like have this like voyeurist, like, let's see behind the curtain. Like, what's your living room look like? And I get it. Like, I watched the Kardashians. I enjoy it. Um, but also we wouldn't like can you imagine like artist in like the 1800s, like being like, and this is my kitchen. Like no one would have cared.
1: (laughs) Uh, Like, uh, Thomas
0: Edison, meaning like, welcome to my studio (laughs) or like taking selfie. It's just a weird, it's a weird dichotomy that we put actors in of like, we want to see, or anyone on, on media these days is like, let's see the behind the scenes. Let's see like what you don't want to show us. And there's this, like, there's the people say things like, Oh, well, so-and-so doesn't have social media. I'm like, right, but they came up before they had to have social media. So now they don't have to have it. And for example, I feel as though I do. I do have social media and I've made the choice that because of the One Broke Actress platform, I invite people to see my day-to-day life, to see that like, yes, I'm auditioning for things that have big names in them, but I also live in this apartment. And like the lighting is not great all the time. <laughs> and Like I have dogs and like they are messy. And like, I always have dog hair on my clothes and I make videos. And like, here's my husband. He's also a personal trainer and a writer. Like we're not, I like to, sh- I've made the choice to showcase that. And it was an active choice of like, what is mine versus what is ours to look at. And I, I do things like, I don't like to get on social media on the weekends and things like that to delineate that side of my life. And I will, I just cannot become the person who's like taking videos every time my friends and I go to dinner because those are like my moments. And I, it just, it just, it's not me. And I think figuring that out for yourself is something every artist has to do is like, what do you want to share versus what do you want to keep as your own and, and figuring out a way of doing that so that people kind of let you live. Right. Right. It's and on your own one. terms,
1: mm-hmm. for sure. So it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, and for those who want to learn more about you or um follow your amazing podcast, where should they go? Yeah, so
0: everything is one broke actress. It's onebrokeactress.com. I have a one broke actress YouTube I just started. Hey. Welcome. Um the podcast is the One broke Actress Podcast, um, Instagram, TikTok. It's it's uh, literally everywhere but LinkedIn. LinkedIn.
1: That's my take. <laughs> listen, if you're a creative, isn't the one benefit you don't not really
0: have to care about LinkedIn? I do not have. I don't even think I have a LinkedIn. Hell yeah.
1: That place. I mean, listen, I, there's some good that happens on LinkedIn with TFD posts on LinkedIn about like our four, de, for, four day work week stuff, but nothing makes me despair for humanity more than like the posts that will go viral on LinkedIn
0: from you men. Go viral on LinkedIn.
1: Oh yeah. It's like nothing but men like CEO, like solopreneurs, whatever, who talk about like waking up at 4am and like taking a nice cold shower. And, um, you sad. Know, yeah, just like how to optimize life by draining every single bit of pleasure and spontaneity out of it, I think is their general. That's what, that's what does numbers on LinkedIn. Isn't that what Twitter is? For? <laughs> I know. Listen, don't come for my Twitter. I love Twitter. Twitter is about silly jokes. Someone referred to it as the smoking section of social media. And that's what oh, I feel. Oh, I like that. A lot of Posting happening on Twitter. Anyway, um, thank you so much, Sam, for being here and thank thank
0: you. you guys for tuning in. And that brings us to the end of today's podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this piece. If you guys liked this segment of a podcast that I was a guest on, let me know, and I will consider adding some more of these to our podcast repertoire. Thank you guys, of course, for tuning in on the YouTube and on Instagram and all of the places. And definitely check out, like I said, the rest of the Financial Diets content. They're so good and quality and researched and I just, I cannot recommend them enough. Thank you guys so much for listening and I will talk to you next week.